0: Hello, hello, guys, gals, and non-binary pals. My name is Tyler Phillips, and I am a social work student here at the University of Calgary. I wanted to start this podcast off with a land acknowledgement. CGSW radio broadcasts out of Mokinsis at the University of Calgary campus radio station located on Treaty 7 land. CGSW would like to acknowledge the traditional territories of the people of the Treaty 7 region in southern Alberta, which includes the Blackfoot Confederacy, comprised of the Siksika, Pekani, and Kainai First Nations, the Soutina First Nation, and the Stony Nakoda, including the Chiniki, Bearspaw, and Wesley First Nations. The City of Calgary is also home to Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3. CJSW would also like to note that the University of Calgary is situated on land adjacent to where the Bow River meets the Elbow River, and that the traditional Blackfoot name of this place is Mokensis, which we now call the City of Calgary. In this episode of A Different Perspective, I will be exploring alternative options to contemporary therapies and medications. This will be a two-part episode as there are several different topics and concepts I want to explore. In the first episode, I will be discussing the past and present of psychedelic-assisted therapy and how it is being reintroduced in more recent years as an alternative option to modern-day medication and therapies that treat things such as depression, anxiety, addiction, traumatic brain disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, which I will be using in short form as PTSD, as well as many more physical and mental health disorders. To begin, I wanted to discuss the history of psychedelic assisted therapy in Canada. Psychedelics have a notorious history and have been a prohibited substance dating back since the mid 60s and early 1970s. During the 1960s in the United States, youth and young adults were increasing their recreational usage of psychedelics. These young people were associated with the American anti-war counterculture, which may be more popularly known as the hippie movement. With the rise of anti-war protests led by this counterculture, US President Richard Nixon felt the political pressure to silence the naysayers. In 1970, the Nixon government passed the Comprehensive Drug Abuse Prevention and Control Act. In the following year, Nixon declared the War on Drugs, stating that drug abuse is public enemy number one in the United States. The War on Drugs was not limited to the United States, rather it became an international phenomenon. In 1971, the United Nations created a treaty known as the Convention of Psychotropic Substances. Canada, being part of the United Nations, signed the treaty that was designed to control psychoactive substances, which therefore became part of our Food and Drugs Act. A little fun fact, prior to the convention, LSD and DMT were already restricted drugs. It was not until 1974 that psilocybin, magic mushrooms, was added to the FDA. Prior to the prohibition of psychedelics, Canadians were studying and recreationally using psychoactive substances for religious and cultural purposes and for the therapeutic treatment of alcoholism and other mental health issues, such as depression, anxiety, and PTSD. During the 1950s, Saskatchewan was home to one of the world's most influential experimentations of psychedelic therapy research. The word psychedelic was even coined in 1957 by Saskatchewan-based psychiatrist Humphrey Osmond. At this point in time in history, psychedelic-assisted therapy was groundbreaking, as it not only was an alternative to long stay care in asylums, but it also assisted clinicians to better understand psychotic and substance use disorders. This alternative treatment was not only known to be a cost-effective approach, but it was also an effective way to restore health and autonomy to patients who were subjected to long-term confinement in asylums. Weyburn, Saskatchewan's mental hospital was one of the largest asylums in North America and was extremely overcrowded. It is said that during this time, patients who were admitted were known to be admitted for the remainder of their lives. It wasn't until Tommy Douglas, Saskatchewan's first socialist premier, promised to dramatically reform the healthcare system by investing in medical research and policy changes. With Douglas's quest to reform the healthcare system, he sought out researchers and psychiatrists from other countries in hopes that Saskatchewan could be home to research-based experimental treatments. In Douglas's quest to reform the healthcare system, Douglas recruited Humphrey Osmond, a British psychiatrist known for researching LSD and mescaline. Osmond came to Saskatchewan in 1951 and became the Weyburn Mental Hospital's clinical director. Much like Douglas, Osman was determined to change the way mental health care was being provided in Weyburn and in the rest of the Western world. Alongside Osman, Abram Hoffer, a Regina-based psychiatrist and biochemist, began to collaborate on their desire to improve mental health care and support provincial health care reforms. Together, Osman and Hoffer developed a research program that focused on two objectives. Firstly, Osman and Hoffer wanted to understand the brain chemistry of those with schizophrenia. From their research that they conducted mainly using LSD and mescaline from the peyote cactus, it was hypothesized that true psychosis may be related to a chemical imbalance in the brain. The second objective that was researched was geared towards alcoholism, specifically alcoholics that were resistant to help or were not responding well to previous treatments. It was speculated by Osmond that when individuals struggling with alcoholism took LSD, it mimicked symptoms of delirium tremens which would then scare the patient into changing their behavior. From the research they conducted, it was found that instead of these patients having a terrible or scary time on the substance, they had what was quoted to be interesting experiences. This reaction to the LSD presented as a success for those struggling with alcoholism, as it was reported in their research that patients who were followed up with for up to two years had a recovery rate of 50 to 90%. The research being produced out of Saskatchewan had a ripple effect, and in the 1950s, Saskatchewan was very influential for their attempts on the Healthcare Reformation and Psychedelic Research. Saskatchewan's progressive influence sparked mass interest from professionals, the public, and even indigenous healers, as there was a desire to gain advice from Osmond, Hoffer, and other colleagues. Unfortunately, even the rapid increase in interest and support, the excitement surrounding psychedelic-assisted therapy began to decrease, and this was due to several varied reasons. In 1961, Tommy Douglas stepped down as the Premier of Saskatchewan, and Humphrey Osmond left Saskatchewan to teach at Princeton University. In 1962, Saskatchewan doctors went on strike over Medicare. In the same year, Canadians would learn about the severe side effects of thalidomide, which in result caused debates around classification and prohibition of drugs. The Canadian government changed the rules around LSD research, which made researchers apply to the Federal Minister of Health, to be approved to continue studies. As the government continued further regulation of substances due to concerns of recreational use and negative side effects, it was reported to mainstream news that LSD was being purchased through a black market underground economy. LSD was now being condemned as a drug that was causing users to become mad and violent due to hallucinations. This viewpoint shifted the attitude towards psychedelic substances and researchers were pressured to stop all studies. As the Western world increased regulations on psychedelics, researchers were also unable to compete with drug companies who were producing medications for daily use, whereas psychedelics were mainly used for single dosages. Beyond that, the repercussion of Nixon's war on drugs and rise in anti-drug campaigns, drugs became heavily stigmatized, especially psychedelics as they were seen to be pleasure-seeking substances that permanently changed brain chemistry or triggered psychosis. Due to the stigmatization and criminalization of psychedelics, the craze of the psychedelic-assisted therapy ceased to exist. It would not be until 1996 that Prime Minister Jean Cartien's government passed the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act, which repealed the Narcotic Control Act and Parts 3 and 4 of the Food and Drug Act. This act allowed researchers the ability to apply for an exemption under Section 56 of the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act, which allows the individual to possess a specified quantity of the controlled substance and to administer the controlled substance to human subjects or animals for the purpose of research. This shifted a revival of the dormant research on psychedelic use in the medical world. Though this was a huge advance for Canada, the United States had already been leading the psychedelic renaissance by resuming clinical trials of psychedelic research. In the late 1990s and early 2000s, the United States granted approval to psychiatrists to resume psychedelic-related research. This research was conducted at John Hopkins Medical Center by a team of researchers who were the first group to obtain regulatory approval to initiate psychedelic research on volunteers who had no previous experience with psychedelics. Following the research being done at John Hopkins, the research team published their findings in 2006, which inspired a revival of psychedelic research throughout the world. Meanwhile, in Canada, the government made a regulation allowing individuals the option to access cannabis for medical purposes. This would only be the beginning of Canada's steps towards changing the regulations surrounding psychedelic research and the complete legalization of cannabis in 2018. I always thought that the legalization of cannabis was what began the resurgence of psychedelic research little did i know the legalization of cannabis plays only a small role in the government's decision to allow researchers and healthcare providers to reassess the potential benefits of medicinal psychedelic treatments 2020 was a huge step forward in canada as it would be the first time non-study participants could legally use psilocybin which is better known as magic mushrooms for relief of -of end-of-life anxiety and depression in alberta as of january 16 2023 It was announced that patients in Alberta will now be able to legally consider adding psychedelic-assisted therapy to the list of treatment options available for mental illnesses. This is a huge milestone for Canada, especially Alberta, as there is a need for alternatives to modern-day medications and therapies, specifically for mental health. In 2017, the Government of Canada invested $5 billion towards supporting access to mental health services. Though the intention and funding is there, I personally reflect on whether or not we as a society have had any noticeable positive changes to accessing mental health services. Something else I've been recently reflecting on is, if you are a person working in the field of addiction or mental health, or if you yourself are someone who has accessed mental health and or addiction services in the recent past, what was your experience like? My last reflective question in regards to this topic is, as an individual that is part of the Canadian population, what would you like to see change and how could pressing topics like this be addressed by our political leaders i wanted to share some experiences i had as a housing support worker here in mokinsis what i noticed was that access to mental health and addiction services has been a difficult barrier for the clients i've worked with noticeably there is a lack of beds no matter where you go for example The staff at detox centers recommend that patients wanting to access detox need to arrive around 6 or 7 in the morning to potentially qualify access to a bed within the facility. Meanwhile, in hospital psychiatric units where patients in need of urgent mental health care are forced to wait in emergency rooms or worse, are sent home and told to try again tomorrow because there may be a bed available. The urgent need for a reform of the medical system post COVID is evident in so many ways. Especially as wait times in hospitals are an all-time high due to the lack of available beds and a much higher demand As well as the fight for accessing a family doctor has become increasingly challenging For me, this begs the question of, could psychedelic assisted therapy be a revolutionary option to those who are either diagnosed with higher risk illnesses or the individuals that have complex mental health cases and have tried all of the current medicinal treatments available with no positive changes? When considering this, it is also important to evaluate if people would even be open to the idea of accessing psychedelic assisted therapy. I tried to investigate the popularity of psychedelic assisted therapy within Alberta to see if there was an influx of Albertans wanting to access the treatment and if whether or not there was some kind of waiting list. I was unable to find any information about this at this time. I also tried to look into a list of approved Albertan physicians that conduct psychedelic assisted therapy, but that list was not available as of yet. In my findings, I learned that Calgary currently has two psychedelic assisted therapy clinics. The first clinic I wanted to talk about is ATMA, which is a psychedelic assisted therapy clinic that provides training for healthcare professionals. On their website, it states that their programs and platforms are designed to prepare mental health professionals for psychedelic assisted therapy, especially those who reside in British Columbia, Alberta, Oregon, California, Washington, Idaho, and Nevada. Also provided on their website is the list of requirements for Alberta. Under the Alberta Psychedelic Assisted Therapy Regulations on the ATMA website, I will be quoting their provided information around the Alberta requirements, rules, and regulations. Firstly, for administrative requirements for all licensed providers, they are required to apply for and hold a license under the Mental Health Services Protection Act, appoint a psychiatrist as a medical director, develop and maintain written policies, procedures, and records, report on service utilizations and complaints, ensure critical incident reporting and response, and lastly, ensure staff meet qualifications and training requirements. Secondly, the service requirements for psychedelic-assisted therapy include, prescription by a psychiatrist or physician in consult is required, administration must take place at a medical facilities slash clinics only, except for end-of-life care, no self-administration and no direct dispensation sale to a patient, rules about monitoring-slash-care when in altered state apply, qualifications to provide psychotherapy are required, and lastly, the provider must comply with the other rules in the standards. Thirdly, prescribers must ensure all prescriptions provide the following information direction respecting the quantity of the drug that may be dispensed or sold at any time and the intervals of the time required between each dispensation or sale, and information about the dosage and whether the drug is to be used in the context of psychedelic. Fourthly is wherever psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy is being provided, a psychedelic drug cannot be dispensed or sold directly to a patient Only an authorized regulated health professional can administer a psychedelic drug and it must take place at the facility listed on the license of a licensed service provider, a hospital, or an accredited medical facility. An exception to the location of administration exists for end-of-life patients. And lastly, authorized regulated health professionals or other approved individuals must monitor, treat, and care for the patients while in an altered state of consciousness. The last of the requirements, rules, and regulations is as follows. Providers of psychedelic assisted psychotherapy must either be psychiatrists, clinical psychologists, or regulated health professionals authorized to perform the restricted activity of psychosocial intervention who meet a standard of qualifications or experience and are members of the following regulatory colleges. Alberta College of Occupational Therapists, College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta, College of Alberta Psychologists, College of Registered Nurses of Alberta, College of Registered Psychiatric Nurses of Alberta, and last but not least, the Alberta College of Social Workers. If any listener is interested in more information about psychedelic psychotherapy training or general information, please visit www.atmajourney.com. The second Calgary location that offers psychedelic assisted therapy is the non-for-profit organization Bloom Psychedelic Therapy and Research Institute. As of right now, Bloom is offering ketamine for treatment-resisted depression symptoms which include suicidal ideation, PTSD, anxiety, including intrusive thoughts, dissociative reactions, nightmares, increased autonomic arousal, and associated depression, as well as substance abuse and chronic pain. To be referred to Bloom's treatment, you can either book a consultation with your family doctor, or alternatively, you are now able to self-refer by booking a 15-minute screening call and completing the intake form. The team will collaborate with you on creating a treatment plan that is best for your needs and budget. They also offer individual or group sessions. As explained further on their website during ketamine therapy, you begin by reviewing your intentions before receiving the dosage. After consuming the substance, they will provide a comfortable experience with your own carefully curated music and be given some eye shades to wear which is used to encourage you to focus on internal exploration and experience the effects. A clinician will remain with you throughout the entire duration of the session. If this is something you think you or someone you know may benefit from, you can access more information at Bloom's website at www.bloompsychedelic.com. Despite the evidence of positive benefits of psychedelic assisted therapy for both the Canadian healthcare system and patients who undergo the treatment, there are also some current limitations and concerns that I wanted to address as well. Accessing controlled substances is not easily done in a timely manner for urgent indications. There is also a safety concern of potential risks for individuals accessing psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy that they may not be accessing it from practitioners who are qualified and trained on conducting the treatment. There are even underground psychedelic-assisted therapy options that are practiced by individuals who do not have the medical qualifications to do so. There is also a potential risk to participants that are under the influence as they may be more vulnerable to predatory behavior, misconduct, or other boundary issues among therapists which can seriously jeopardize not only the patient's health and safety but public trust in the research and practice of the field at large. But as I have already mentioned, Alberta currently has a number of regulations, rules, and requirements to be able to safely access psychedelics for medicinal purposes. Some other important restraints I want to mention are those surrounding psychedelic use through an indigenous perspective, which could be useful when creating regulations surrounding the topic. In a recent article written by Saskatchewan professor Erica Dick, she states that, Canada has an opportunity to take the lead once more in the so-called psychedelic renaissance. It might be our chance to invest in more suitable solutions to harm reduction and ways of including indigenous perspectives, rather than racing to push psychedelics into the medical marketplace. Indigenous approaches to sacred plants are not only about consuming substances, but involve preparation, intention, and integration often structured in ritualistic settings that are as much about spiritual health than as physical or mental health. Dick then goes into explaining how the Indigenous approaches to psychedelic use don't exactly align with the Canadian Health Act as these approaches may be harder to regulate and control if allowed to use in more ritualistic settings. In my point of view, I think this could be a great way to incorporate Indigenous perspectives and practices into the Canadian health system because, as of right now, there's a major barrier and or limitation to indigenous holistic practices in canadian hospitals and treatment centers much like dick mentioned indigenous approaches for the use of sacred plants are focused in a more healing and ritualistic manner rather than taking a substance to get intoxicated or using the plant without proper knowledge and usage of the medicine from what i learned during my research on psychedelic use for medicinal therapeutic purposes there is a lot to be learned from indigenous peoples of the southern plains of the USA and Mexico, as well as South American countries. In southern USA and Mexico, spiritual experts and healers known as shaman would assist in guiding groups in consuming peyote. North American Algonquin peoples were also reported to drink Datura as part of puberty rituals. In Mexico, there's both written and visual ancient artifacts that pertain to pre-Mayan cultures using psilocybin mushrooms. In Central and Southern America, the Aztecs built temples and carved stones to honor the gods of the fungi. Aztec people were also known to use the seeds of morning glories for the hallucinogenic effects. Mazatec people and shamans also used salvia leaves during ceremonies. In South and Central America, there's also a popularly known ritual that remains in practice today and is heavily accessed by tourists seeking spiritual guidance and healing powers. This is known as ayahuasca. Ayahuasca is a potent plant based psychedelic tea. The main active chemical in ayahuasca is DMT, and it is made by using leaves from the Psychotria Voridis shrub and stalks of the Banisteriopsis capi vine. I do apologize if I butchered any of the pronunciations of those plants. I really did try my best. Anyway. <laughs> ayahuasca has influenced psychedelic research in several different ways due to its known benefits of healing symptoms caused by past traumas ayahuasca has even been introduced into canada in a couple different ways for instance the coast salish indigenous band in southwest bc invited researchers to conduct an observational study of an ayahuasca retreat the retreat was focused on healing individuals that were struggling with problematic substance use and was conducted four days with two ayahuasca ceremonies. After the retreats, it was found that the ayahuasca ceremonies produced a high success rate, which was evident in the follow-up qualitative study that was completed with 11 out of the 12 participants who participated in the retreats and prior quantitative study. According to the narratives of the participants, there was a consistent theme of feeling the retreat was a positive and life-changing experience, and it was reported that, and I quote, eight participants reported complete cessation of at least one substance and cravings. The remaining three reported reductions in use or problematic use, with two reporting they quit temporarily and then returned to using but less problematically. And one stating that they still party but think about what I am doing more, not go past good buzz. This effect was reported for a variety of substances including tobacco, alcohol, pharmaceutical painkillers, and crack and cocaine. Two women described a very visceral physical rejection by the body after participating in the retreat. In a statement provided by participant number one, she shared how the ayahuasca retreat impacted her and stated the following quote, I am off all my painkillers. I was on 50 milligrams of fentanyl patches. I was on oxycodone, you name it. I was on it, but I am off everything. I believe that my ayahuasca experience will not let me put any more drugs in my body. It is rejecting it because it's making me physically ill. I was drinking. I was drugging. I was cracking out. I was IV drug using. I was a hardcore drug addict, and now I'm just down to maybe one or two medicinal marijuana joints a day. I am off everything. From what I was able to find, ayahuasca has a wide variety of research surrounding its healing and medicinal properties. As there continues to be a push to destigmatize the use of psychedelics for therapeutic purposes, Canada has been reassessing ayahuasca as yet another substance that could be used in healing an array of different physical and mental illnesses. In a recent article written by Mary Holanova, she states that Vancouver Company has created the world's first ever ayahuasca pill. The pill created by Filament Health is getting ready to obtain FDA approval to begin a phase one clinical trial. Depending on the results of the clinical trials and research conducted, this could be a groundbreaking alternative option for those who are eligible to receive the treatment. That being said, There are also some considerations when creating a substance that is knowingly used for traditional and spiritual purposes by indigenous Amazonian people. I think it's important to respect and recognize the intention and sacred practice of ayahuasca before it becomes just another commercialized and or westernized medicalized product. In the article, Holonova states that consultations have taken place with relevant local communities in Peru, though specifics remain confidential until research progresses, and that Filament recognizes there are many competing perspectives on ayahuasca study and it is important to take these into consideration when dealing with this sacred plant. It is important that when working with sacred plants such as the ones that are used in ayahuasca, we as colonizers do not repeat history and put another sacred plant and or practice into endangerment or appropriation. In this last bit of this episode, I wanted to address how all of this information in history relates back to the field of social work. As someone who is a social worker and a social work student, the topic of psychedelics isn't commonly discussed as it is a fairly new and perhaps taboo emerging approach. In fact, there is very limited research and studies done by social workers on the psychedelic therapy approach overall. If you aren't a social worker, I just wanted to reference that in the study of social work, there is a major focus on the several different theories and practices that are used within the field. There is also a focus on policy and leadership and how social workers should be participants in social justice, especially when it is geared towards change in policy for the betterment of society. Anyways, one of the most relevant pieces of literature I was able to find was a 2022 dissertation written by Joshua Elo. The dissertation is a qualitative study of clinical social workers' knowledge, attitudes, and professional responses to psychedelic-assisted therapy. Something to also note is that social workers, specifically ones with master's or doctorate degrees, typically find employment in hospitals, schools, private practices, government positions like public sector mental health, rehabilitation facilities, religious or spiritual organizations, hospice, or veteran affairs. Here in Alberta, this may look just a little bit different because you can be a registered social worker with either a diploma or a bachelor's degree. The job roles would just look a little bit different within the sector, as I had just mentioned, because clinical and doctorate degrees are a little bit more specialized. Anyhow, there is a wide array of options within the social work field, and it is a profession that is constantly changing and developing to better serve the demographic of people they may be helping. Because of this, social workers do, and I quote, "...have a pivotal role in facilitating appropriate care in a variety of settings, including best practices and new therapy approaches." As I've already mentioned, social workers play a major role in the pursuit of social justice and advocacy, as it is one major part of the Canadian Association of Social Work's Code of Ethics. Something social workers have been advocating across North America for several years now is the decriminalization of drugs and other harm reduction options. Psychedelics hold value in being part of the harm reduction approach as it includes ideas and strategies to reduce the negative impacts of drug use. Harm reduction is also organized around the belief in the dignity of people who use drugs. Because psychedelics have shown to be effective in treating substance abuse disorders, this could also be a potential treatment option as it is known to be fast, cost-effective, and statistically successful. I think as we see more and more studies come out providing support for this alternative therapeutic approach, Canada will likely continue to ease the laws and regulations surrounding psychedelics and I imagine we will see a lot more of this therapeutic approach being offered. I think it would be cool to see psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy be introduced to Canadians as an option, especially for mental health." As researchers continue to lead the psychedelic renaissance and moral trial runs are conducted to provide evidence of positive results, the only thing we as patrons can do is maintain keeping up on the up-to-date research being released and advocate for policy changes on that note, this is the end of episode one. If you made it this far, thank you for listening and supporting CGSW 90.9 FM. If you are interested in contacting me, please feel free to email me at tyler.phillips at Goodbye!